Good morning again, everybody. It's good to see you. Welcome back to Community Church, as always, and Merry Christmas to you. What a special time of year we've entered into this Christmas season. This is the time where we celebrate the first advent or the first coming of our Lord when Jesus Christ, God incarnate, the righteous Lamb of God, actually came into the world to lay down his life for the unrighteous. That's you and that's me, right? So we rejoice that Christ has come, but we also look forward to his second coming, his second advent. And that's going to be the time in history when Christ is going to return to the earth to make all things right. And so Christ has come and Christ is coming. And so we live in between these two advents of Christ, right? And the first advent actually gives us hope. It gives us assurance of the second coming, his second advent, because those who have actually placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what has happened is we have essentially become betrothed to Christ. And one day, sooner rather than later, in my opinion, Christ will come. He will return to claim his bride. Right. We're going to talk more about that word betrothed here in just a minute. But what an exciting time to be alive. Over the course of the next three weeks here at Community Church, we're going to be taking a look at the lives of Joseph, and we're going to be taking a look at the life of Mary, and of course, the life of Christ. We're going to be looking at the three main characters surrounding the birth of Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look into the life of Joseph, who was not only the adoptive father of Jesus, or of some have said the foster father of Christ. Scripture tells us also that Joseph was a just man. How would you like that, man? How would you like to have that description beside your name in the pages of Scripture? Pretty cool. Next week, we're going to look into the life of Mary. Mary, of course, was the earthly mother of Christ, and she was a woman of whom Scripture says is blessed among women. Now, ladies, how would you like to have that description beside your name in the pages of Scripture? And then on Christmas morning, of course, we're going to take a look at the life of our Savior. We're going to look at the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, of course, is described like no other in the pages of Scripture. And therefore, we could never hope to be described in the way that he is in the pages of Scripture, nor is it meant for us to be right, because the descriptions of Christ our Lord, as found in the pages of Scripture, are designed to drive us to our knees in worship of our King. The description of Christ, the God-man, is designed to spring up worship within our hearts. Christ, of course, is the sole focus of all of Scripture. He is the single focal point of Scripture, and he's the hero of history. And so because of the vastness of Christ and, and all of the things that surround his life, our study of him on Christmas morning is going to be very simple. It's going to be very brief. We're look briefly into the life of our Savior because as John says in his gospel, this is John 21. At the very end of his gospel, John writes this in verse 25 of chapter 21. He says, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. Think of that. Amen. So you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, we're going to be studying the majesty of the person of Christ for the rest of our lives, for the rest of our entire life. So there's no way uh, that we're going to be able to cover all of that in one sermon, right? But we're going to do our best on Christmas morning to capture both the humanity and the deity of Christ as we celebrate his birth into the world that he created, fascinatingly, in order to provide redemption for those he, who he created in his own image. It's amazing. So each of our three studies over the next three weeks leading up to and including on Christmas morning are going to basically just be overviews, okay? They're, they're certainly going to lack detail. They're going to lack depth to a degree because my intention is not to be exhaustive in these teachings. My intention is to be exhortative in these te- in teachings, rather. So hopefully what they will do for us as we look into the lives of these people will drive us personally into further study on these topics in our own time, but mostly I hope that these studies will provoke us to worship. I hope that they will, in fact, drive us to our knees in worship of Christ our Lord as we begin to focus our hearts on the coming of our Savior into the world. And so this morning we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1. 
We're going to be studying verses 18 through 25. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. But would you pray with me quickly, and then we'll get into our text. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time together. Thank you for the beautiful time of worship and singing these Christmas hymns and just beginning to focus our hearts and our minds on Christmas, the first advent of our Lord. And as we look into the Christmas story, into the birth narrative of Christ this morning, please, through your spirit, guide us into all truth. Help us to see things here that maybe we haven't seen before, but moreover, I pray that your word would drive us to worship, to worship the King who has come to save us from our sin. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, reads like this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make a public or make her a public example, rather, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Verse 24, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. All right. So this passage here in the Gospel of Matthew, of course, documents the birth of Christ, which is inarguably the most significant, the most unusual, and the most foretold birth of all time. It's the most significant birth because it's the birth of God's only Son. Right, the Savior of the world. It's the most unusual birth because Christ was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin. It's the most foretold birth because we see prophecy relating to the birth of Christ all the way back to Genesis and all the way through Malachi, right? the entire Old Testament. And we see this prophecy of the coming Christ as sort of a narrowing funnel of prophecy, if you will. Think of it like that. And it leaves absolutely no doubt that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. For example, we see that Christ will be the seed of a woman. That's Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Okay, that's the, the first recorded prophecy of Christ in the Bible. And then the funnel of prophecy narrows down a little bit more, and it tells us that Christ is also going to be the son of David. We see that in Isaiah 11, 1 through 4. We see it in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 through 6. And then that funnel of prophecy gets even more narrow. And it tells us that Christ is actually going to be born of a virgin. That's Isaiah 7, 14. And then finally, the prophet Micah specifically tells us that Christ will be born in Bethlehem Ephrathah, okay? Which is Bethlehem of Judea. That's Micah 5, 2. And now this is the place of Jacob, okay? The, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the home of Ruth. This is where King David was born. So naturally, it's only natural that David's root would spring up from here as well. And so not so coincidentally, by the way, Bethlehem, that word Bethlehem means house of bread. How cool is that? Because the bread of life, Jesus Christ, our Lord, would begin his days on earth in the house of bread, Bethlehem. These prophecies that I just mentioned are just a few of more than 300, more than 300 prophecies that tell us about the birth of our Christ. And so, again, he has the most unusual birth of all time because it's the most foretold birth of all time. It's the most unusual because he is, again, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. But he's the most significant birth of all time because he is the Son of God. Right, born into our world as the Son of God. So there's, there's eternal significance here in the coming of Christ. In fact, we notice this even in history, right? We mark time. 
by the birth of Christ. That's how we do that, right? Some of you may not be old enough to remember. I don't know, but we used to say B.C. and A.D., right? <laughs> remember that? That was before Christ and A.D., Anno Domini, meaning in the year of our Lord. So that's how we marked time was at his birth. And so um, the more modern way of doing things is B.C.E. and C.E., right? Which means before common era and common era. But did you notice something? You still have to split time at the birth of Christ. You cannot avoid that, right? The birth of Christ is like no other because the Lord Jesus Christ is like no other. Now, for a little context here in regard to this passage in Matthew, we need to remember that Matthew was Jewish. He was writing to Jewish people about their Jewish Messiah, okay? They were expecting a very different king, though, than, than what Christ was even though they had the scriptures, they seen the prophecies, right? Clearly, just like you and I, but yet many of them still refused to accept Christ as the promised Messiah. And so some things never change, obviously, right? Many people today still have no problem as you know, say they would accept Christ as a good man, for example. Yeah, Jesus was a good guy. They might even accept him as a prophet on some level, but many people today will not receive him as Lord and Savior. They just can't accept that. But we also see in this passage here some struggles in humanity that are very common to most, most of us, really. We see that in the life of Joseph and Mary from this birth narrative here. It's very common. We see things like fear in this story. We see things like surprise and confusion. We see shame, and we even see honor in the birth narrative of Christ in the life of Joseph and Mary. And so, because we've all experienced these emotions, at least on some level, then I think it makes, makes it a little easier for us to relate to their situation, even though their situation was very unique. It was unlike any other. But Matthew gives us the account of uh, the birth of Christ here from Joseph's perspective. And Luke, of course, gives us the birth narrative from Mary's perspective. So two different perspectives here. And Luke actually gives us a lot more background, which... We might look at some of that next week in our study of Mary. But Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, picks up with Mary already having been found with child of the Holy Spirit. Okay, And so this tells us that God told Mary about the birth of Jesus first. So Mary knew before Joseph that her son was to be named Jesus, and that he would also be called Son of the Highest. That's Luke chapter 1, verses 31 and 32. She knows that he would be the son of God, according to Luke 1.35. And so not only were Joseph and Mary told at different times about the birth of Christ, they were also told in very different ways. For example, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to Nazareth to visit Mary. Right? That's Luke chapter 1, verse 26. However, an angel of the Lord, we don't know who. Many people assume it's Gabriel, but it's not specific in the text. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. That's Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Which, by the way, as you read through this birth narrative, you're going to see that happen four different times to Joseph, an angel appearing to him in the first two chapters of Matthew. And so what we have here is the same message, the birth of Christ, delivered in two different ways at two different times. And here's how Matthew records his. Verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So pay attention to the words of Jesus Christ, okay? Because they're written in what is called the emphatic position. And all that does is it sets apart Christ's birth from all of the other births that were mentioned in the genealogy that Matthew talked about in the first 17 verses. In other words, Jesus' birth was unlike any other birth as we've talked about but then the next word here that we need to take note of in verse 18 is that word betrothed okay now this word betrothed is similar to our word engagement except that it's much more permanent to be betrothed was was very permanent jewish custom would dictate that a man and a woman would be betrothed and this would happen for at least a year so the betrothal would be a year long, and it would have most likely been prearranged by the parents early on. Okay, This would have happened fairly early in life. Most scholars believe that Mary would have been between the ages of 12 and 15 years old at this time. 
very young. And Joseph is presumed to be about 18. Some say he would be older than that, but most agree about 18 years old. But once they were to be betrothed, once a Jewish couple was betrothed, um, then marriage was imminent at that point, okay? So folks were married very young back then, of course. And one reason for that is because they had been raised to be responsible adults back then. Okay, In fact, Jewish boys were considered to be adults at the age of 13. 13. Anybody had a 13-year-old teenage boy in the house before? <laughs> they were considered to be adults at 13. Now, just think about the contrast of what we see today, right? Today, we don't even kick kids off their parents' insurance until they're 26, and a lot of kids don't even get kicked out of their parents' basement until they're in their late 30s. <laughs> so I think that it's safe to say we have lowered our expectations of both parenting and adulting, haven't we? Jewish parents, they begin to teach their children the Torah. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. They began to teach their children the Torah as soon as their kids were old enough to speak. And many of them memorized the Torah. Not all of them, but they all memorized parts of it. They memorized scripture as soon as they were able to speak. Listen to what first century Jewish historian Josephus wrote. This is in the first century. He said this, Our chief ambition, meaning the Jewish chief ambition, is for the education of our children. We take most pains of all with the instruction of children and esteem the observation of the laws and the piety corresponding with them the most important affair of our whole life. Yeah. Wow, that's, first, that's a first century Jewish dad saying the thing that we value the most in our culture, in our society, is to raise our kids according to Scripture. Amazing. This is a dedication that they had, especially to the Word of God, and it's resulted in Jewish people, even in our world today, to really excel in the fields of technology and in the military and even in the arts. Meanwhile, listen to this, a recent 2021 LifeWay research study revealed that almost two-thirds of American evangelicals, okay, that's people who would say they believe and follow Jesus, two-thirds of American evangelicals read their Bibles only occasionally or never. Wow. Again, that's professing Christians that admit that. So we also know from another study that 92% of American homes today still have a Bible in them, but only one-third or less read them occasionally or ever. Wow. Only one-third of those who profess to believe the Bible will read it on a regular basis. Compare that, contrast that to what we just learned about the Jewish society, right? It's no wonder that American kids today know more about promiscuity, fatherlessness, self-centeredness, than they do things about the promises of God and faith and self-sacrifice. It's no wonder, is it? But Matthew continue, continues on here in verse 18 by saying, before they came together. Okay, now this would obviously indicate both Joseph and Mary's virginity here. In other words, they were chaste, okay? Because th why? They had been raised in the ways of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, verses 7 through 8. However, Matthew tells us very succinctly and directly that Mary was found with child, which indicates, of course, Mary was pregnant. And so now we come to Joseph's dilemma, right? Now we see Joseph's dilemma. How in the world can two virgins have a child? Unless, of course, Mary was... Mm. Yeah. The Lord's going to clear all this up for Joseph here in just a minute. Because as the Word of God says, Mary was found with child of the Holy Spirit, right? And so this gives us a very important doctrine here that we find in Scripture. It's absolutely essential to Christianity. And th the doctrine is this. The doctrine is called the eternal sonship of Christ, okay? In other words, Jesus did not become God's son upon his birth. Jesus did not become God's son upon his incarnation, as some would believe and teach. No, Jesus has always been, and Jesus will always be. He is eternal. Listen to what John says in his gospel, the very first chapter, 
I'm going to read John 1, verses 1 through 3, and then read down uh, in verses 10 through 14. John says, in the beginning was the Word. Okay, so the Word was already there in the beginning, right? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And then on down in verses 10 through 14 of John 1, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, meaning Israel, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them, okay, that's Gentiles, anybody who is non-Jew, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Then listen to this, who were born not of blood, okay, that means a descendant or a blood relative of Abraham, see Romans 9, 7, nor of the will of the flesh, okay, that's to mean of the will of the flesh means one who pursued or ran after the law so as to merit righteousness, see Romans 9, 31, nor of the will of man. This is a husband's, husband's will. That means enter in through marriage, okay? So none of those ways are going to result in you becoming a child of God. It's only those who believe, right? And those who are of born of God will be a child of God. And then in verse 14, John says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. When? In the beginning. In the beginning, right? Both he and his deity already existed in the beginning. And I would... Uh, I would say, you know, an interesting study for you to do would be go look for the Trinity in the first chapter of Genesis. Go look for the Trinity in the first verse of the Bible. It's there, and it's a fascinating study if you'd like to read into it. But this phrase here that John mentions in John 1, the word became flesh, literally means that he took up residence. Okay, so he didn't become God's son. He just changed locations. He just took up residence here among us. He changed his location while his deity remained fully intact. And so as Christians, we believe in one eternally existing triune God, okay, the Trinity. Now, we may not be able to fully comprehend that, but we can absolutely apprehend it because it's a truth that's found all throughout the Bible from the very first verse in Genesis chapter 1 all the way through the end of the Bible in Revelation. Verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Okay, so the word for husband here, this speaks to the permanent nature of this betrothal, right? It was permanent. They were not married, but marriage was again certain. Okay, at least that was the plan, right? But under the current circumstances, circumstances rather, Joseph was understandably having second thoughts. I mean, the Bible says that Joseph was a just man, but he was obviously having second thoughts. Do you remember back when we studied um, the early chapters of Luke? Luke mentioned that Zacharias and Elizabeth were both righteous. And then he told us about Mary. He said that she was highly favored. And then in Mary's song, she wrote that his mercy, God's mercy, is on those who fear him from generation to generation, and he exalts the lowly, and, and so on. And all of that reminds me of Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen, which says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, and to revive the heart of of the contrite ones. And so what does all that mean? Here's what I'm getting at. Obedience matters. Okay? That's what I'm talking about. Zach and Liz, they were already considered to be righteous. Mary, highly favored. Joseph, a just man. You see, obedience to the Lord really matters. Righteousness matters. Humility before the Lord matters because why because God uses people like this for great things in fact he says he dwells with them in Isaiah 57 15 right he dwells with those who are contrite those who have a humble spirit in them those are the people that he dwells with so do I want to be used by God do I want to be close to God better yet do I want God to dwell with me right 
then I need to be humble before him and obey his word to the best of my ability with the strength that the Holy Spirit gives me to do that. So another thing to notice here is the proof of Joseph's just character in this passage. The word says that he didn't want to make her a public example. I love that. So even in the greatest moment of heartache, even when Joseph, in the greatest moment of his heartache, he put Mary before himself still, didn't he? He put Mary before himself. How unselfish. What an honorable man. And most importantly, how Christ-like. I mean, how many of us would put the reputation of a spouse who we thought probably cheated on us before our own? How many of us would do that? What an example here of a godly man. Guys, we really do need to listen up here and follow Joseph's example. What we're learning here is that as a man of God, as the head of your home, you take the arrows. You take the ridicule, right? You protect your family. It's on you as a man of God. If you want to be a just man before God, then you lead, right? You stand in the gap and you take the arrows. You do the hard things. Godly men rise above their emotions and do the right thing, regardless of what it costs them personally. And that's what we see here. Because honestly, and not, I mean, literally, this could have cost Mary her life. If you read Deuteronomy 22, 23 through 25, Mary could have been rightfully by the law stoned to death. If the news got out about this, then they could have enacted Deuteronomy 22, 23 through 25, and Mary would have been stoned to death, right? That was the punishment in the Bible for a betrothed wife who had cheated on her husband. But here, even though Joseph was no doubt feeling betrayed, he still put Mary's life before his own. Again, very, very Christ-like here. Why? Because Christ was betrayed, wasn't he? Who was he betrayed by? Me. You and me. We betrayed him. We are the bride of Christ. And we betrayed him, and yet he still put our needs before his own, didn't he? He loved us in our sin, and laid down his life for us, even though we did not deserve that. But then the word says Joseph intended to put her away secretly. Okay, so this tells us that Joseph did, in fact, intend to divorce Mary, which he had every right to do legally, according to Deuteronomy 24.1. But his character still wouldn't let him do that at the expense of Mary's life. Joseph was indeed a just man. He was righteous. He was obedient before God. And this is a great example of biblical manhood. This is a great example of Christ-like character here. Because in Joseph, as in Christ, what we see is really the full measure of justice. Okay, which, by the way, always includes mercy. Okay, justice and mercy are two sides of the same coin. We see that here. He's saying, you know what? Yeah, I need to divorce her. That's justice. I mean, I have the legal right to do that. I mean, if she cheated on me, then I need to go ahead and, and divorce her. Sin has its consequences, for sure. But, you know, Joseph is thinking, you know, I need to put her away secretly because I still love her. And I don't want to hurt her, even though she's hurt me. Think about that. That's mercy. That's mercy. Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justly. He was going to put her away. That's the right thing to do. Okay, To love mercy. Man, I like that. And to walk humbly with your God. Of course, James 2, 13 says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You see, Joseph was a just man. He was a just man, and largely because his mercy toward Mary triumphed over his judgment toward Mary. Verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Man, I love everything about this verse. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love every verse in the Bible, and I love everything about that. But this verse is rich. The word says, while he thought about these things, put yourself in his shoes. Can you imagine? I mean, what must he 
have been thinking? What was going on in his mind? I mean, he must have been thinking things like, Lord, I've lived right. Okay, I've done the right thing. I mean, I've served you, Lord. I've kept my vows, right? I mean, I've walked with you in obedience, Lord. And now this, why me? Has anybody ever asked that question? Why me? Why me, Lord? Who wouldn't feel like Joseph right now? Maybe you felt that way in a situation in your life. Maybe you have been betrayed. Maybe you have been wronged on some level. And you've asked, Lord, why me? Right? We can all relate to this at least on some level. But I want you to look here. In the quietness of Joseph's own mind, before any revelation had been given to him, Joseph decided to think about these things. Man, that's good. I love that. Here's what happened, guys. Joseph pumped the brakes. He pumped the brakes. Mature, godly men think before they react. It's always a good idea when you're struggling with an issue, whatever that is, just give it some time. Give it some space, right? Don't make a rash or a hurried decision. No, think. Just like Joseph did here in Matthew 1.21. Or you can ponder like Mary did in Luke 2.19. And remember, in those moments, who God is, right? In the middle of your circumstance, in the middle of your struggle, reflect on the character of God and depend on His guidance in that moment. You know, I've told people before who are struggling with things, and they're right in the middle of a great difficulty or a circumstance in their life, and one of the things I'll usually tell them is, you know what, just trust in what you know to be true about God. Trust in what you know to be true, right? God is good. God is faithful, right? God is love, and so on. Think about those things. Let the truth of God occupy your mind and direct your thinking. And I think that's where Joseph was at here. I mean, I'm sure he was thinking about all kinds of things, and he thought about them for a length of time, no doubt. And after a lot of internal struggle and and just wrestling with what to do and thinking and wondering, his mind finally shut down from exhaustion, and he dozed off. And in that moment, right in the middle of his desperation, right in the middle of his exhaustion, right in the middle of his anxiety, that's when the light broke through, right? In that moment, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. Now this, by the way, would have reminded Joseph immediately of his lineage, okay? This would prepare him for the announcement that he's about to get so that it would help him to understand it and recognize what he's about to be told. In other words, the angel is saying, Joseph, listen, keep your chin up. Keep your chin up. You are loved by God. You are in the royal line of David. So don't be afraid to take to you, Mary, your wife. Rest easy, Joseph, for that which is conceived is of the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, no doubt, the light bulb went off. Hmm. Mary was faithful. Mary was faithful. Wow, can you imagine the relief in Joseph's heart, the weight that lifted up off of him in that moment. But you wonder how things would have been different had Joseph depended on his emotions rather than depending on his God. Verse 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. All right, so God told Zacharias through the angel Gabriel that Elizabeth would bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. That's what he said. But God told Joseph through an angel of the Lord that Mary would bring forth a son. Big difference, right? Mm -hmm. This child's not yours, Joseph. Okay, He didn't come from you. He came from God. Again, this is no doubt going to give Joseph a whole lot more to think about for sure. But the angel said, you will call his name Jesus. So in one sentence, the angel gives Joseph both the gender and the name of the baby. And the name Jesus, of course, is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Joshua, which means Yahweh saves or Jehovah is salvation. And so as the angel said, he will save his people from their sins. And so the name Jesus also reveals his purpose. Just as Joshua led God's people to the earthly promised land, Jesus will lead his people to the eternal 
promised land. What Moses and the law couldn't do, right, Joshua, by God's grace, did. And all of that was a physical foreshadowing of what Christ is going to do spiritually when he leads his people into glory, into his heaven. Verse 22, And so all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Now pay attention to the words, All of this was done. Okay, this is referring to all of those circumstances that led up to this moment, which includes Joseph's heartache. It includes Joseph's confusion, all of his pain, right? All of this was done. Guys, in this life, we can only see dimly. Paul told us that in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. We're not always going to be able to predict the outcome of our circumstances. We don't always know the answer to our questions of why, and we all have those questions, right? So what do we do? Since we're not going to get the answers, we have to trust in God, right? We have to employ faith. We have to believe, right? We've got to keep the faith. Again, trusting in what we know to be true about God and knowing that he is good and that his purposes for our life are all good. Look, Joseph had no idea that God was in the process of using him to fulfill prophecy. He just knew that his heart hurt. He just knew that he felt betrayed. That's all. But because Joseph was a just man, then God could use him to bring about the promise, the promised Messiah, that it might be fulfilled, the word says, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Amen. God's word is true. God will keep his promises. And here we see that God uses ordinary people, just like you and me, just like Mary and Joseph, ordinary people. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. All right, so the word says, Behold, the virgin, right? Not just any virgin, but the chosen virgin. Okay, this was also the virgin that would have been prophesied about, that was prophesied about. The one that Luke traced the lineage of in his gospel as proof of that virgin right there shall be the one with child. And she shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And of course, this is a fulfillment directly of Isaiah's prophecy from Isaiah 7, 14, right? But wait just a second here. The word says they shall call his name Emmanuel, but I thought the angel just told Joseph in a dream that the child's name was to be called Jesus in verse 21. Well, that's a good catch. I'm glad you're paying attention this morning because you're not going to find anywhere in Scripture where Jesus is called Emmanuel. But of course, that in no way negates the truth of the passage, right? Because just as the name Jesus reveals his purpose, which is salvation. He will save his people from their sins. The name Emmanuel reveals his nature. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And so by way of translation, Matthew assures us that Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is the very fulfillment of messianic prophecy. Okay, and he is the very God that is with us. That is amazing. Guys, I would encourage all of you at some point during this Christmas season, just step away for a minute, get somewhere quiet, get a nice cup of coffee, grab the Bible, get, get a copy of the Word of God, and go somewhere and think on this for just a little while. Okay, Think about this idea, this truth that God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. It's an amazing thing to think about. Just spend some time dwelling on that one fact about Jesus. God is with us. Dwell on the fact that God came to dwell with you. Make that personal. Verse 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. Now we should take note of the immediate obedience here, right, from Joseph. Again, he was a just man. And just men of God, what they do is they obey the commandments of God immediately, right? And so what I need to ask myself here is what command of God is there that I'm not currently obeying? Okay, now I'm not talking about uh, some sort of legalistic, ritualistic religion or practice. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, 
What truth from Scripture do I know but have yet to obey? Right? Is there something in the Word of God that I know I need to be doing, but I have delayed my obedience to that? The moment that Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Of course, Joseph was a thinking man. We saw that. That's a very good thing. Mature, godly men think. They use their brains. But honestly, there's certain things, guys, we don't have to think about. We don't even need to pray about. Okay? If God says it, we do it. We just do it. Right? And we do it without delay. That's a good example that Joseph is setting here. But can you imagine, again, the relief that Joseph had? Woke up from this dream thinking, man, thank you, Lord. She was faithful. And then most likely he thought, wow, what an amazing blessing, but what an even greater responsibility I have now from the Lord. Mm -hmm. Listen to this parable of the unjust steward from Jesus in Luke 16. In verse 10, Jesus says this. He says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Again, Joseph was already a just man who was faithful. He was a faithful steward of the little things. Okay? And God, what did he do? He entrusted him to steward his own son. It's fascinating. So Christians, don't let your guard down. Okay? Do not let your guard down. Take care of the little things. They matter. They matter. Be faithful in those little acts of obedience, right? Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Again, Micah 6, 8. So we have to employ our faith full time. We are full time Christians, right? Don't settle for the lie of cultural Christianity, all right? Don't settle for that. Because here's the deal. The world does not need a church full of people who fake it. No, what the world needs and what the world desperately needs is a church full of people who will in fact walk in humility, who will walk in obedience, who will walk in faith to the God that they profess to love and know. That's what the world needs. And I just believe that a church that will be faithful in those little things, those basic things, I believe that God will bless that church and that he will entrust to them larger things in his kingdom. Man, wouldn't that be great? Verse 25, And did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. All right. So I want to bring out one more point of doctrine here that comes from the last verse in Matthew chapter 1, and then we're done. But the word of God says she had brought forth her firstborn son here. And so this verse, along with many others, including Matthew 13, verses 55 through 56, they all serve to discredit this unbiblical Catholic view of Mary's perpetual virginity, okay? In other words, they're uh, Catholics and there are some others, but they would teach that Mary remained a virgin her entire life. And I want to be very blunt here when I say this and very direct. That is heresy. That's idol worship, okay? That's what that is. There's no way that Mary remained a virgin her entire life. We have too many scriptures that tell us other, otherwise, and this is one of them, okay? And so we don't need to worship Mary. We don't need to give her any prayers or praise, right? And if you would like further instruction on what the Bible teaches about siblings, just go look at James and look at Jude, okay? Two writers in the New Testament were both sons of Mary and Joseph as well. All right, so Mary is to be respected. Mary is to be highly favored, but she is never, ever to be worshipped or prayed to. We're going to look at uh, some more from Mary's life next week. But to wrap it up here this morning, just let me say this. Joseph, as was his character, he remained faithful to both God and to his wife. And so at least one of our takeaways, I think, this morning should be this. It's important that we remain faithful to the Lord in both the good times and the bad, okay? We need to remain faithful to the Lord in heartache and in happiness. Because here's the deal. When, when times get tough for us, when we get into situations that we don't understand, we can tend to give up. However, when times are good, then we can tend to let down our, God, our guard and forget God. So we got to be careful because either one of those responses can lead us to sin, 
right? We need to become spiritually mature. We need to become emotionally mature. And all that starts with time spent with the Lord in His Word. Uh, but we see here uh, that the character of Joseph is really the character of Christ. That's really what it is. We often say things like, you know, you, you know the phrase, like father, like son, right? Well, here it's more like, like son, like father. Joseph was a type of Christ, okay? He was merciful and he was just, just like Jesus is. And so it should be for everybody who calls themselves a Christian. We are, in fact, little Christs. Okay, and therefore, our lives should resemble the life of our Savior. Now, I don't want that to scare you. I don't want that to intimidate you. I hope that encourages you. I hope that it spurs you on to become mature in your faith. That's what I hope. And again, the way we start doing that is, is we begin with faithfulness to the little things. We obey what we know to be true from Scripture. And as God reveals more truth to us, we obey that, right? So, who knows? Maybe God will use you, maybe God will use us to bring the blessing of His Son to the world in a very significant way. If we are faithful in the little things, maybe He'll entrust us to larger things. Guys, Joseph was just a simple carpenter from a small town. We don't even see him speak in the pages of Scripture. But we do see his faith. We do see his obedience. We do see his quiet strength. We see his integrity and his conviction. We see his compassion and his care and his consideration for other people. And all of these things are marks of a man of God. Okay? Joseph was a man of God. And lastly, I want you to notice one more thing. That Joseph is the one who publicly proclaimed the name of Jesus. Did you see that? Verse 25 says that he, Joseph, called his name Jesus. You see, Joseph claimed Jesus as his own, which would give him the benefit of his own ancestry in that royal line of David. Okay? In other words, Joseph adopted Jesus in the exact same way that Jesus adopts us and gives us his ancestry in the family of God. Think about that. In the same way that Joseph adopted Christ, Christ adopts us and gives us his ancestry in the family of God. You see, Joseph found his purpose in the faithfulness of God. And he found that when he surrendered his will to the will of God. And so this quiet carpenter from Nazareth, Joseph, he became the adoptive father of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Pretty amazing. So I wonder what God would do with me. I wonder what God would do with you. I wonder what God would do with community church if we surrendered everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this time in your word this morning. Thank you for the truth of your word. I pray now, Lord, as we enter into a time of worship, a time of response, that you would speak to our hearts individually, right where we're at. Convict us if we need conviction of sin. Comfort us if we need comfort. Lord, you know each of us intimately and better than we even know ourselves. So I pray, Lord, that you would use your word through the power of your spirit to touch us where we are. Maybe we haven't been faithful in those little things. Maybe we need to start reading our Bibles again. Maybe we need to start praying again. Maybe we need to get into a Bible study or start coming to church or just spending more time with the Savior we profess to know and love. Help us to be faithful in the little things, Lord, so that maybe someday you would entrust us with larger things in the kingdom. We want to be good stewards of all that you give to us. We don't want to be a just man just because Joseph was, but we want to be like him because he was like you. He was merciful and he was just, just like we see in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the very place where mercy and justice met, where the love of God met the sin of man and conquered it. Lord, you didn't give us what we deserved. We deserve hell, 
because we are sinners. But you gave us mercy at the cross. You sent your son into the world to lay down his life on that cross, to live a perfect life, the life we never could, to fulfill every law and then pay for our sin on the cross, laying his, de- his life down willingly. But then taking it up again in the miracle of resurrection so that we can have hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. If we would turn from our sin, believing that Jesus is the Son of God who died on that cross to shed his blood for our sin, that he rose from the grave, if we would believe that by faith, turning from our sin, you tell us we can be born again, we can be saved, we can be forgiven, and we can know you. We can have that mercy that you provided at the cross. We won't have to pay for our sin. Thank you, Lord, for that provision. Thank you, Lord, for the study today. Again, I just pray, Lord, that we would be obedient to your word, that we would hear the truth and obey it. Once we hear the truth, we're responsible for it. So help us to be obedient to the gospel. Help us to be obedient to your word. And help us to trust you. Even in those situations in our life, when we come to a a situation or a circumstance we don't understand, our heart hurts, we're confused, we don't get it, we're exhausted. Help us to believe. Help us to trust in the things we know to be true about our very, very good God. You love us unconditionally, and you prove that at the cross. I can't think of a better way to prove your love for us than the way you did it, through Christ your Son. We love you, Lord, as we celebrate your first advent during this Christmas season. We look forward to your second when you come again to set all things right. We look forward to that, Lord, when you call your church home The bride you are betrothed to is married. We look forward to that day, Lord. So during this time of response, please have your way speak to our hearts, and I pray that we would respond in the way that you would have us to. Whatever you're asking us to do, help us to say yes, Lord. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.